Hello and welcome to the White Shorts podcast. I'm Bella Cartman and I'll be your host for the series. Now, this podcast came about from conversations I've had with players, coaches and fans of women's football and women's sport. There is so much being discussed on a daily basis about challenges faced by female players, the improvements we would like to see in the game and how there are these amazing women quietly working away to improve our clubs and associations for the women of tomorrow. With the recent explosion in women's sports, I sought out a platform where I could learn more about these incredible women and what they're doing for women's football New Zealand. What I found should have come as no surprise, but this platform did not exist. So, the White Shorts podcast was born. This podcast aims to bring to light the work being done by these incredible women, along with highlighting some of the adversities they have faced by being involved in the game. Each week, I'll be joined by a player, coach or manager from around New Zealand for a fireside chat. We'll talk about their motivations, their journeys and, crucially, what they've learned along the way. So come join us and we hope these discussions inspire ones of your own. Welcome to episode two of the White Shorts podcast. Today, we are joined by Jess Fuller, who works with Southern United and is one of... I would say our most preeminent coaches in New Zealand. So yeah, thank you very much for coming on to the podcast, Jess. I really appreciate it. I think you're going to be a really interesting person to listen to. So I'm very excited for this discussion. Um, first off, do you want to just tell us your first memory of football? Um, first of all, Bella, I just want to say thank you for having me on. I think this is a really cool initiative. So congratulations. I couldn't think of a better person to to run something like this so that's really cool oh thank you yeah um that was pretty generous your statement to be fair but <laughs> I'll run with it my first memory of football I'd probably say my dad my dad's a big West Ham United supporter um and back in the day we couldn't afford Sky TV so I can remember my dad doing the house chores while the radio was playing with BBC sport commentary over the top nice. <laughs> um which if anyone's listened to can be a bit painful. So that was that was definitely my first memory. So I was constantly listening, listening to the games, whether I knew at that point in time what was going on or not. <laughs> Very nice. Also, yep, West Ham supporter. We'll touch on that a bit later in the bit later in the episode. Bully you for it a bit, I reckon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, do you want to just give for all the listeners a quick rundown of your kind of journey in football so far? Um, I'm already saying um. <laughs> so, journey in football. So, obviously, Dad was always um big fan. Listening to it on the radio occasionally, he'd buy a pass for a week to watch the games on TV. I started off playing in school, and I probably just over lunch times with the boys. And I think I did that for about four, four or five months before asking mum and dad to go and play for a club because I wanted to make sure I was good before <laughs> before moving on to a club. So I played with the boys until I like backed myself. And then I was like, oh, can I go play in a club? Um, this was up north in Kerry Kerry. So my first game playing nice. was in Russell. So you caught a ferry, went across, went across to Russell. Way. Oh my gosh. How, how, how old were you at this time? I think eight. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, another so cool. another late bloomer. That's two yeah. in a row. Wow. Yeah. And then um yeah, get over to Russell and because I'd been playing with the boys, um, scored scored one or two goals in the first game and dad was kind of like, Oh, how'd you get so good at this? I'm like, Oh, I've actually been playing every day for the last four months. <laughs> <laughs> so surprise surprised him and then from there um got into 
uh, Norforce, which at the time was like a federation team that traveled from Kerry, Kerry and Whangarei each week to play in the Auckland leagues, nice. which is quite cool. Did that for a few years while playing in the women's division also up north and then moved to Dunedin, played for Green Island for six years. And then now, last year I was at university and this year I'm taking a bit of a break to focus on coaching. Yeah, well, yeah, taking a break from playing, but still very much involved in the coaching side of things, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, well, let's talk about the coaching because, mate, you're honestly killing it on the coaching side of things. It's so cool to watch. Um, so, yeah, do you want to just, like, first off, how did you get into coaching? Because I think that's a massive question that a lot of girls will have, and it's not really something that's ever really been talked about as, like, young female players. Um, so, yeah, it'd be really cool to hear, like, why you kind of even considered coaching in the first place? Yeah, this is something I've actually been thinking about quite a lot recently because I'm like, you know, we need more female coaches and I'm trying to figure out what I, why I enjoyed it so much and how comes I started at such a young age because then if you can kind of find that out, you can probably help other people enjoy it. Yep. Um, I started quite young. I think I was, I think I was about 14 when I started coaching. Um, and essentially my coach at the time was like to me, oh, I think, I think you'd be, <laughs> I think you'd enjoy coaching and I was like oh yeah that sounds good so I spoke to the local club and they were really supportive and it started off I think it was a 10th grade team <laughs> and then just each year each year I kept kind of being pushed up and up and up <laughs> and uh, to be fair I was I was really enjoying it so I didn't I didn't hold back um yeah, yeah. so talking about your coaching journey do you want to just you know list a few of the teams that you're coaching this year Yep. So this year I'm coaching, I'm assistant coaching the varsity, which you'll be familiar with, your old club, women's team, and then helping out their men's team as well. And then also I'm in the build-up phase preparing for the Sun United under 18 season as well, which I'm looking forward to. So you head coach for the under 18 team? Yep. Head coach for the under 18 teams. We had the first campaign last year and it was wicked experience, wicked league. And yeah, looking forward to continuing this year and see 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 what this year brings, I guess. Yeah, well, because I think, as you say, like we do need more female coaches. But again, without having those females in the coaching roles in the first place, it's hard to see it as kind of that viable option. Um, and as players, like I know when I dipped my toe into the pool of coaching, it was because I just couldn't physically play anymore. And I think that's a really like important thing to highlight is there are other opportunities in football for female players if they don't want to keep playing anymore. But it's just, yeah, it's never really been talked about. So like, what do you, how do you think we break open that conversation and kind of like bring it up to that wider level of football in general? Yeah, for sure. I think, I think a lot of it's a confidence issue. Like you, you don't see, I didn't have a female coach when I was growing up. Yeah. And so when you think of the younger players these days, I think there is a few more. Like I definitely think there's more at our local soccer sisters. The majority of them are females. And I think there's more effort to ask players. And I think if we're asking our female players, even female referees, do you want to coach? The majority of the time they actually say yes. But I think yeah. there's not there's a bit of a confidence gap in putting their hand up because they think they're not good enough. They don't know yeah. enough. Yeah, um, for sure. And almost like... I feel like at that top level of like some club systems, it's almost assumed because there's no female coaches that females don't want to coach, which is, as you say, completely inaccurate. 
but it's just yeah we've never been offered those roles yeah and I think because traditionally there haven't been females in those those higher roles then there's there's a bit of a lack of not opportunity I guess it is opportunity for females to ask to be in those roles because it's not seen as normal yeah for sure yeah and um yeah yeah well you just said um in your soccer sisters program first off do you want to just describe for the listeners what what that is because that'd be really cool it sounds like a great initiative from you guys and then also why you think maybe it's important to have female coaches at this kind of club level like not necessarily like that, that those top positions I think we'll touch on that a bit later but just even at that baseline club level for some of these younger girls and just you know casual players um, so Soccer Sisters was a program started by Tessa Nicole, um, who was a WDO for Southern Football um, a few years ago. And she essentially started an initiative, which is like an after-school program between four and five, for six weeks every term on a Friday. And essentially it just brings any girl who wants to come, even try football for one, two, three weeks or a bit longer, come give it a go. There's, I think we've got four female coaches. They're all in high school as well. So young coaches um, learning and developing. And then we've also got one um, male ally who's just a legend and turns up every week and he's just, he's just awesome. So he's, but he's fun. He's, um he's super good with the girls and we're grateful to have him and he gives up his Friday nights every week. So it's awesome to have him along as well. But yeah, it's it's all about the girls having fun, really, with a ball. Like it doesn't it doesn't do much matter what they're doing with the ball as long as they've got a ball at their feet and they're having fun. It just creates an environment and they continue coming back. So it's been it's been really cool. And then in terms of how important it is for them to see female coaches, I think I think it's incredibly important because then they see it makes it more normal. I think more normal for the girls to see I don't even think it's female coaches I think it's female leaders in their life mm, yeah it's stand, standing at the front someone who they can inspire to be so then when they get to 14 to 16 to 21 to 30 they're like oh if I don't know if Georgia can do it why can't I do it yeah so I think it's incredibly important and then I think in terms of clubs clubs need female coaches again so they can continue to grow the women's game in their club and I think more needs to be done on how to make an environment for those female coaches at the club. So I was thinking about, can you remember when you were the, um, you were Stu's assistant coach and I was doing the academy? Yeah. I was thinking about that the other day and I was like, that was such a good time because I think coaching can be, it can be quite lonely. Hmm. You're a part of a team, but you also have that. Yeah. That barrier. There's that slight barrier between the team yeah. and the coach, which is like necessary 100%. But yeah, as you say, I mean, if you don't have a massive kind of coaching squad or support squad behind you, you are one of two or one of one. Yeah, exactly. And I think when you think, um, try not to make any assumptions, but usually females are quite, they want a social space. And I think that's why the academy, when I was coaching with you, with Stu, um, there was a little social network and we were all coaching different teams, but we're all together. We could bounce ideas off each other. And so it all felt we were part of a team as well as a wider squad, a wider purpose. So I think that's really important. And I think clubs, clubs could really drive similar programs and initiatives um, Hmm. as 
for work i'm going to try and bring the coaches within the region together but that's mm. quite hard for geography reasons as you know yeah well especially down south the southern um it's just such a large area for that one region um it's so hard to well connect with people in person like you can always jump on zoom or anything but it's not quite the same um but yeah having that kind of support system where you can bounce off people and even just chat about your teams and you know get get some thoughts out there out of your own head um is so important for your own development and then the girls development as well yeah and I think I think it's more important as well because we're in we're in a a year where there's where there hasn't been many female coaches before us certainly in my life anyway everyone's different I think that's even more important because then it's like um like I'm always bouncing ideas off Tessa because I'm like yeah. Tessa where I have been and she's a great person for me to go oh, did you experience this and she'll go yeah like this is how I dealt with it and it's it's a good way and so I think it's even more important because it just makes you feel like part of a bigger collective and a movement rather than the the slow the slow cogs turning and you're kind of like stuck um yeah well you're yeah. just kind of chipping away at something yeah. that <laughs> you're like you're not really making a difference at yeah. all I mean everyone is like you and Tessa as you say making a huge difference for girls in Southern, but also women around New Zealand. Like it's really cool to see you guys kind of leading the charge on that and super exciting as well. Um, yeah, I want to pick up, yeah. Well, you mentioned that kind of collective, that females like that social network. Um, I think that's just something that we, yeah, we need um, at a baseline level. And we were on a coaching course actually, what, two years ago now, I think, or maybe maybe a year ago. I can't remember actually, but we were what, two of four women in a room of 30-ish males on a coaching course? Three, me, you, Brandy. And Bacon. Oh yes, that was it. Yeah. yeah. Renee. Yeah. Um, and... I couldn't have imagined doing that course by myself. Like it would have been completely and utterly overwhelming. And then, but having you guys there was, it just made all the difference. Yeah, hundred percent. It was, it was cool as well. Cause I don't think previous to that, cause that was the year we were coaching together with the Academy as well. Right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think previously to that as well, I hadn't really spoken to many, like, Renee, Renee had always received banter from on the field. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We wind each other up on the field, but we hadn't really spoke to each other about coaching. Um, similar with Brandy and similar with yourself. So then it was quite nice to actually be put into a room and find out what each other's doing and build that ne network again. And I agree, like the conversations we had and the confidence we gave each other, especially when you're delivering the practicals and it's like, yeah. whoa, <laughs> yeah. delivering to well, yeah, you made a really good point before we jumped on here. Um, one, in those practicals, you know, we're surrounded by whatever, 25 other men, and then kind of all of the educators were men. And then the players that we were coaching were boys. And it was very much like, wow, okay, cool. Yeah. This is, <laughs> we're picking up on this. Not sure if anyone else is, but this is definitely... <laughs> Swing in one way more than the other. Yeah, 100%. And 
I feel like, and this is probably maybe not the best, best way to look at it, but each time I have a similar experience, I get better at dealing with the experiences like that. Yeah. But it's yeah. definitely, I think the, the, the women who have already been on those courses are the ones who are okay with going on those courses. And I think we're missing, we're missing a large pool of women who would probably be okay to go on the courses. If yeah. it was maybe a bit better. Um, having well, a yeah. few players or a female coach educator. I know they ran, I know New Zealand football ran a female only C license. That was amazing. That was amazing. That was incredible. Yeah, I reckon that would have been so awesome just because yep. the conversations I can imagine would be so much different. Oh, 100%. Like it would have been a completely different, yeah, completely different course, I think. At like, yeah, and as you say, in terms of the conversations and how football was analysed and looked at as a whole and then especially on the field as kind of a strategic game. Um but yeah, it create it creates that extra barrier to something that's already quite like has quite a lot a lot of barriers in the first place, getting on a coaching course and just having that, yeah, another barrier that women have to get over just to be in the same room as the men. Yeah. Um I went on my B license at the start of the year. Congrats. Amazing. Yeah, so I was yeah quite stoked to be on it. Um felt very grateful and was very excited, but also really nervous because yeah. I knew going on to it I'd be the only female and and it had a couple of hard times in the like month leading up to it. So I was like, oh, confidence isn't where it's always <laughs> isn't the highest at the moment. But we'll see, we'll see how this goes. Yep. And um, went on it and it was it was such a good group of guys to be on a course with. They were so supportive and didn't feel out of place at all. So, but having said that, like I am wary that I've had experiences leading up to that course that made me feel quite comfortable going on it I was nervous yes but I was like I've done similar things before yeah so I think I think that's the I think that's the problem is the females already on those courses are the ones who are kind of a bit braver a bit more courageous to put their put their foot in front of the other and get on them yeah Um, well touch touching on that um what like what are some of the kind of mental skills or like these ex- these past experiences that you've had and you've learned from what are, what are some of the mental skills that you use to get yourself on these courses like for some of those women that maybe are a bit intimidated by going into those environments like coming from you who's as you say gone through it quite a few times now like what are some tips and tricks that you use or could pass on to the, these other women yeah that's, that's a great question I think the best way for me to approach answering that is probably to give examples because I don't yeah. think there's anything specific. I think um, the best piece of advice actually came from my dad. Um, this was, well, we're going back in time now. I think this is about five years ago, maybe six, which makes me feel a bit old, but I was coaching a youth boys team at Green Island. So like an under, an under 17 boys team. Hmm. And I, would have been, I was second year uni, so I think I was 20, hmm. um, which really cool experience but I had an assistant coach Mitchell he was he was really good yeah what I was finding is you know before the game whether it was home or away the head coach of the opposite team would come they'd shake Mitchell's hand and just leave me sitting there oh mate honestly it's ridiculous how many times has that happened where you're the assistant coach and you don't even get looked at yeah and I was like man like that's this, and that time I was the head coach as well so it was even worse like I was like what is what is this yeah um and I was like talking to my dad one morning and he was like, well, make sure you shake their hand first. And I was like, solid piece of advice. From, so yeah. from that, from then onwards, I've always made it my job 
to make sure whether it's home or away, I shake the opposite coach's hand first. Hmm. And I find it it's definitely worse. It was definitely worse in the local leagues last year. It was coaching in the Youth National Girls League, and that was just an awesome experience. Um, complete opposite. You didn't have to even think of that, which is nice, and it shows times are changing. But I think it is it is worse in the local leagues. And similar, use that similar advice when I went on the B license. Like the you have you have a few butterflies in your stomach, and you you kind of don't know what you're going to be walking into. But I made sure when I sat down at my table, I introduced myself, asked what their name was, what club they're through. So I initiated the conversation. Yeah. And I think it seems scary at the time, but then you come across whether you're confident or you're not you come across a bit confident a bit yeah. you feel like you and you feel like you've had a bit of courage so it just puts you in good stead for the rest of the day yeah so that's something I've learned is don't wait don't wait for what you know is going to happen to happen try yeah. and well it's almost like we feel out of place before we even go into it but in actual fact we should take up just as much space as anyone else on that course or in that environment. And yeah, it just feels like you can't or you're not allowed to. But yeah, I mean, that's amazing advice, like making sure you do take up that space. Yeah. yeah and I think, I think, and the same thing, like if you have a question, like ask the question because everyone else in the room is going to be is 100% thinking the same thing. So don't feel like your question's stupid because most of the time it's not. And no. I think... I think because you're doubting yourself already being there you feel a bit out of place even though you're not and the the how I like to think of it is every single person on that course is there because they want to coach football they want to develop the players in their game mm. some of the coaches there are males who coach females so they have similar ideas similar thoughts to you and you all want the same thing so just think you're all there as a collective you all like coaching you all like football there's already that common ground so kind of push the other things to the side and just own it yeah, no, for sure. And I mean, even if you, like, as you say, ask the question, other people are going to be thinking it, but even if they're not, it can start up another discussion. Like I remember on our course that we went on, all of the examples that were used um, for the football players were male. Like we, we've talked about this so many, so many times, but they were all male. And I believe it was... Um, Renee Bacon, who, you know, put forward, put up her hand and said, what about Abby Ersig as a player? And literally, I think every single male in that room went, who? Who? And it's like, yep. she's one of our most successful international players, full stop, male or female. That shouldn't be happening. That should not, there should not be that type of reaction from people who are heavily involved in football to not know who Abby Ersig is. And it's just, it's a joke, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's something I actually noticed quite a bit from the C license to the B license was C license. I can remember all the slides. Like I can't really remember any of the slides being women focused, but in the B license, there was pictures of female players, um, female coaches as well. There's a few slides of Alana Gunn. There was a few slides of Yetka. And yes. so that was quite cool to see as well. Like the things are changing and quite yeah. rapidly as well you think of the, the time that's that's occurred in. Yeah, what's that, like a year? Yeah, um, I think. Well, but again, it points to why we need those females in those roles because it gives those examples. Like it provides visibility. And like with Renee Bacon even putting her hand up and saying, what about Abby Ersig? Now all of those blokes 
know who Abby Ursig is. And like that is such a small little snippet in time, but it can lead into such a bigger conversation. 100%. And I think, like, you look at, like, I was thinking about this the other day and I Googled it because I was like, <laughs> I was like, I'm actually curious. I was thinking in the car, I was like, who, how many female coaches at the Women's World Cup? Like, curiosity, yeah. I Googled it and it's 12, 12 out of 32, which percentages. My math's not very good, but I think that's 37, 37% on the oh, spot. So. I mean, and this sounds terrible. To be honest, that's higher than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Uh-huh. I think it's critical in terms of voice and visibility. And I think New Zealand's lucky with Yetka because, hmm. like, right now, um, Serena Wigman, I love watching her interviews. I think she gives interviews. And it's probably only been in the last couple of years where you're seeing female coaches on TV giving interviews, Emma Hayes. Yeah. So I think I think it's going to be so so critical this World Cup is having that visibility visibility and voice of those coaches heard, yeah. and for everyone communities to understand that there are more of them, but there needs to be way more of them as well. And hopefully at the next World Cup, there's fifty percent at least. You know. Yeah. Well, yeah. I also did a bit of googling because the NWSL. So for some of our listeners who maybe don't know, NWSL is the American professional women's league for football and I also wondered how many you know how many female football coaches and it's three out of 12 and five of the brand new coaches who have come in for this season all male and it's you know it's surely surely there's females you can choose from and if not then it does be the bigger question of why not I think why not Interestingly enough, Jonas Eidval, is that he said, the Arsenal women's coach? He said in an interview, I think it was at the start of the year, the year's going quick, he said that he was asked why there's not many female coaches in the WSL. And he said, I don't think it's the WSL that's got the problem because women's football hasn't had the support it's had. And there's been no coaches in the Premier League Mm. for whatever reason. So they haven't had that voice of invisibility. And he said he doesn't understand. And it's, he quote by quote said it's the most undertapped resource in football in general. Hmm. And I think I think when you think about it like that is, and it's the argument is that all these male coaches have had the experience of coaching within the male environment, which has had years and years and years to develop. Hmm. Female coaches aren't that lucky and they've only been given usually within the women's space. So they haven't been able to gain that experience that these male coaches have. And then all of a sudden it becomes an argument, well, on paper, they've got the more experience, but it's like, there's a disparity there with how they can, how can you gain the experience if there's nothing there? But then when you think about it even further, it's like, there's this conversation, oh, is Emma Hayes going to one day coach in the Premier League? That's a big question at the moment. And it's like, well, there's two, there's two, there's two possible reasons why she might and two, and I think they're two conflicting and this is, this is just my thoughts on the topic, but if she, it'd be great if Emma Hayes or whoever it is, eventually, if they go coach in the Premier League, you're giving that that visibility and that voice to show that just like a, like a female can coach in the men's game at the, at the top level, but then having said that, Emma Hayes might not want to because she's so invested in the women's game. Yeah. So, yes, you'd, yes, it will be... <laughs> 
it would be nice for Emma Hayes to coach to provide that visibility for the young girls. Females can do anything, but at yeah. the same time, that's conflicting to the message, which is we want to develop women's football. So I think, I do think eventually that needs to happen, but I think it's going to have to be the right person who's going to advocate yeah. the reasons why. And um, I think it's great to have coaches experience loss of environment. So if a female coach was to go in the Premier League and then come back to women's football and gain all that experience and those resources, because yeah. there is a resource disparity, Same. that could be a great thing also. So, yeah, I think there's two sides yeah. to that story and they're very conflicting and I've been thinking yeah. about it a lot recently. Oh, it's such a such an interesting discussion. But then again, like it shouldn't be down to one woman to be making that choice. There shouldn't have to be this ultimatum of you either stick with women's football or you go to the Premier League for one woman. Like there should be multiple women being able to have that opportunity where it doesn't have to be, yeah, Emma Hayes alone having to pave that way or break that glass ceiling. Pointing out something you just mentioned about the resource disparity and how women haven't been given that kind of lead up period that the men have in terms of coaching and you know coming into these opportunities um well because women's uh, many of the listeners might not know but women's football was banned in England for 50 years 1920 to early 1970s because and you know there's a lot of arguments about why and it was said it was because it was too dangerous for women to play but in actual fact in the 1920s women's football was drawing bigger crowds than some of the men's and it's argued that the men actually got jealous and they're like, this is a man's game. We're going to ban it. And so they weren't allowed to play. And so that put a halt on women's football for 50 years. And then yet people, men are still expecting, or I should say people in general, are still expecting for the women's game to have developed to the same point as the men's. Like it's such an unfair argument to have because if you've put a ban on something, you can't then expect it to develop at the same rate. 100%. And even it's not just the ban, it's the resources put into that. It's not like they had the facilities or, you know, yeah. the, the, they had nothing. And I think similar, um, funny enough, one of my lecturers at uni sent me a bunch of light reading, <laughs> which has been really interesting, but it's about the history of women's football in New Zealand as well. Yeah. And how doctors came out and published research on why rugby and football wasn't good for fertility reasons. And that halted as well. And actually in the end resulted in more females playing football than rugby because eventually a female doctor came out and said oh well football would be healthier than rugby and all this this yeah. jargon essentially I don't think I think it's definitely there is that disparity and if people can't see that it's it's difficult yeah speaking of the you know disparity in resources for male and female football there's this big disparity in research into injuries that women women playing football have and how women are more susceptible to certain injuries than males but it's severely under research as to why you're doing a bit of master's research I believe into concussions in football do you want to tell us a little bit about that yeah I've definitely been working on this master's for too long eh? <laughs> I need to get it wrapped up ASAP Nah, yeah so my research is on um, I'm comparing the difference in head kinematics and control between male and football female players so essentially this is now in English because that sounds quite jargony but there's uh, there's research to suggest that females have more incidence of concussions than male players 
Hmm. Um, and that's that's no secret. And I think it's definitely affecting the community game a lot. We see it more and more. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to take on this Masters because you're involved in teams and the next minute you've got seven players who can't play because they've all been concussed and they're all on their stand down. And there's a lot of work being done with rugby and neck strength and reasons how we can make an athlete more robust to prevent concussions from even happening. Hmm. And I think that's something that if male, male football players we know head, head, head the ball more frequently and at higher velocities, hmm. females less less frequent and the main mechanism is not actually hitting the ball it's other contact mechanisms which are unexpected so then it's I guess my research is looking at how are there any mechanisms at play that are affecting this head control like neck strength rate of force development vision and trying to work out if if these mechanisms are having a difference and then if they are how can we how can we maybe look at training them in the future in Mm. strength conditioning programs to just make female athletes a bit more robust. And I think that's going to be incredibly important in the community game, because yeah. if, it's, if it's a few exercises you do in the FIFA 11, that's going to help long-term, why wouldn't we be doing them anyway? Yeah. So it's an interesting, it's an interesting, it's definitely interesting. Yeah. Um, and I'm analyzing data at the moment, so I can't really tell you too much about the results, but I definitely think we need to stop looking at male and female athletes as one bracket Oh, 100%, yeah. We already have a strong neck, so why do we need need to work on their neck when female athletes are obviously weak in that area? Yeah. And interestingly enough, there's uh, quite a, there's only one research article on it because there's not much, Um, but there's one research article that says females actually experience more side-to-side body contact than the male game. Wow. Which is really interesting because it's probably not what you'd expect. Yeah, no, Um, definitely not. So that's kind of the premises for my research is I'm, I've essentially got a big uh, pendulum in the lab and I'm hitting people in the shoulder and tracking their head acceleration and doing a bunch of other tests, uh, which is why I struggled to get participants. <laughs> but yeah. I think it's definitely it's definitely needed. And I think more and more research, like you've seen the ACL injuries, like I was gutted yeah. about Leah Williamson. Like I've I never been so gutted. Definitely like, had a bit of a cry, bit of a cry yesterday morning, eh? Yeah, because she's a leader as well as a player, and it's just a huge loss for not just the lionesses but the tournament as well. Yeah, in my well, opinion. And then Lucy Bronze this morning. Oh uh, well, yeah, it's been confirmed. I think I had a quick check before we came on. It's not the ACL at the moment. She's um apparently has been given the all clear. It was just a little tweak. But yeah, I mean, for some of our listeners who are perhaps like very new to football. Do you want to just give us a rundown of, yeah, say like Leah Williamson and why it is such a massive loss for women's football at the moment for her to be out with this ACL injury? Yeah, so Leah Williamson, captain of the Lionesses, she's she's a leader off the field as well. Like you see what she's promoting in terms of women's football developing the game, Hmm. the letter from the Lionesses to go out to the UK government and get more PE, PE for the female students. It's a big difference. And like I I had, so my nan, my nan lives in the UK and I speak to her, try and speak, call her as often as possible. And like, she never, like, I don't know, she's, she, she's a nan, you know? Yeah, and yeah. Um, <laughs> loves loves and supports me. And then one, when the Euros were on, she was all of a sudden knew so much about women's football. Yeah. It was insane. <laughs> like she was naming players that I hadn't heard of. <laughs> and it, it was crazy how I was then having, and like nan, I love nan to pieces. She goes, 
prefer women's football because they don't roll around on the floor as much. <laughs> Literally, I was thinking that when you said women get hit more on the side, I was like, yeah, it's because we don't like yeah. dive every five seconds trying to get a penalty, man. We actually yeah. just it and carry on. You know, yeah, so I think, I think, yeah, even, even, even supporters who maybe weren't already watching football, hmm. uh, watching the women's game because it's an enjoy it's an enjoyable enjoyable spectacle and yeah. I've seen that culture shift I've seen like Nan's yeah definitely all behind it and she's excited <laughs> for the World Cup so I've seen that culture that culture shift there and yeah. it's like that's one tiny tiny fragment of yeah. a completely bigger bigger phenomenon so really exciting and then here like we're in such it's such an awesome opportunity the, the World Cup I was going to ask you, you know, as, yeah, again, much like Lena, someone who's quite involved in the football scene, like how have you found the hype leading up to the World Cup? Yeah, I think it's definitely it's definitely there, but I feel like at the moment it's there because you're in the football community. I don't think we've reached the non-football communities yet. Yeah. And interestingly, so I was driving on the motorway and I was I was on my way and I'm singing away in the car as you do on your way on your what, way to what work. Song? What's the go-to song? Um, song oh, I actually think it was a bit of ABBA in the morning. Yeah so we'll, we'll say Dancing Queen for these purposes so I'm singing away and you know like they have the um like the advertisements at on the motorway I don't yeah. know what they're called. And the, yeah that's the one um anyway and the Football Ferns new Nike kit yes. ad and I was in the car at the red traffic lights, like genuinely in shock. So yeah. I was like, it was like, wow, <laughs> this has never happened before. Yeah. I've not seen, I've not seen a woman's kit advertised before. And I was generally in like kind of like stopped singing to take it in because it was a moment yeah. where I was like, yeah, just wow. And then I get to work and I order the kit because <laughs> I was like, it was such a moment. It was such a moment where I was like this is cool yeah this is happening no for sure did you get the home or the away kit the away it's actually right it looks really flash yeah um well yeah and yeah it's interesting that you pick up on that because I've seen so much more about the kits with like the Nike release but then also the Adidas release that happened maybe a month or so before the Nike one but they've released that line that's based on the country's kind of nature or environment um and it's stunning for anyone who wants to go look and maybe wants a a new new t-shirt the japan one one, oh my god beautiful a work of art (laughs) um but yeah like even stuff like that is such an easy way to get get people interested in the sport like it's just another avenue to get people thinking about it and highlighting that disparity again like it's and then I like sat there and I'm like it's crazy how I'm what 23 years old now and I've been playing football for the majority of my life and this is the first time where I've seen a women's kit advertised center of the city for everyone to drive past like it's it's like it's like you're so pleased to see it you're so pleased and buzzing to see it but then you're also like it sucks. <laughs> it sucks that it's took until yeah. this time to see it. But then you think about all these young girls coming up and it's going to be normal for them. And I think even more importantly, it'll be normal for the males as well growing up to see those things. And I think it's that culture shift. Yeah, for sure. Well, yeah. And it, yeah, I mean, it's interesting you make that point because I feel like that's much the way with women's football is there's all these amazing achievements happening. And initially it's excitement and celebration. And then the second thought is always that, oh, 
where like is this is this really what we're celebrating like is this all we can get and all we can be happy with like it's it's annoying that that's kind of always the second thought that happens because there is so much to celebrate but there's so far to go in so many things yeah and I think post-tournament I think that's when the magic will happen as well mm. and currently brainstorming at work is is how how do we continue that magic to happen post-tournament and it's yeah. going to be hard because how do you keep the momentum going well yeah and this FIFA like it's going to attract so many people who have never watched women's football um to even just go to a pool game or go to a semis game just you know to say that they could go but then it's about retaining those fans afterwards it's definitely like it's such a good conversation um I was looking I'm not going to get this name right but the football fan supporters association football fan anyway there's a like a supporter association in the UK yeah. and it's there's a, essentially a strategy on how they're going to gain and retain women's football fans hmm. That's so, that's such a massive, cool initiative. Yeah. Yeah, massive and like such a massive thing, especially there. They've already probably got those fans now and it's all about retaining them. Yeah. Whether here it's, it's how do we, <laughs> anyway, I found the strategy and I've sent the lady an email asking, does she have like a strategy before that? Yeah. Because I'm like, it's all very well. You've, you've got the fans, but we want to try and get those fans. So have you got anything before that? So oh, it'd be my- interesting if she comes back and, and what, what's got to stay there because, it definitely needs more, again, more work than the males game. But yep. how do we best do that? I'm not 100% sure. I mean, tickets tickets are cheap. But if, again, yeah. if people... Ooh, we're getting, what, World Cup games for 20, 30 bucks. Like, that's, again, amazing that it's so cheap, but also ridiculous that it's so cheap to watch some of the best players on the planet. Yeah. Like, my final ticket cost me 80 bucks. So. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Like, it's... Yeah, it's so like, crazy. Yeah, it's um, not actually. Speaking, yeah, actually, just, yeah, speaking on the World Cup and, again, Leah Williamson, big part of our conversation, but we're going to be missing quite a few players from the World Cup due to some of those ACL injuries. So we've got just, yeah, I mean, we've got Leah Williamson, we've got Beth Mead, we've got Viv Meadamar, we've got Chris and Press. I don't know if she's going to be able to make it, like she's on the road to recovery, but definitely touching nice. this year with there. And then Alexis Patelis, two-time Ballon d'Or winner, best female player ever. I mean, to be honest, touch and go whether she was going to come because there's a lot, of, a lot of controversy surrounding the Spanish team at the moment anyway. But that's five of arguably the biggest players in women's football right now, all out with ACL injuries. Yeah, it's, it's mad. And I think it goes back to that, that piece on research. Like, there's obviously something going on. Hmm. Um, and I've had this conversation with our research group um, at units. It will be so com- complicated because there'll be probably a bunch of menstrual cycle factors as well that go into that. And yeah. they'll probably be collecting that data. I presume they'll be collecting that data and working out when all of these happening in the cycle. But yeah. a lot of people, a lot of people go back to the competition structure. But if it is a hormonal player by player issue, it's not going to be you can't have a comp- competition structure that fits everyone's cycle. So it's going to be how well the clubs manage that if that is a factor. But then again, that's all that's all hypothesis. So Yeah, yeah. well, like, exactly. Like, like yeah. There's that research in terms of what actually could be the cause. Like it's all people guessing at the moment and being like, it could be this, it could be this, it could be this. But then again, like if it is the menstrual cycle, women have always had periods. 
Like why, why, like it's always existed. And I mean, we know why, because it's been ignored in sport for so long and pushed aside and been a taboo subject that no one wants to talk about, but is quite frankly ridiculous if all these ACL injuries are somehow attached to periods and we don't know about it. Yeah, and I mean, that's just my hypothesis because obviously you have like biomechanical reasons why females are more likely as well mm. because of the hips and knee angles, et cetera, et cetera. But there must be, there must be more than that because the biomechanical, are prob- they're probably like, they have sports scientists learning yeah. about landing mechanics going through those to avoid that from happening. That's already been kind of happening. Yeah. So I think the cycle is definitely something that needs to be looked at more. But in terms of research, like, because my undergrads in sports science, you look in most sports science papers and all the participants are males. Yeah. So it's not, that's just not, that's just not football. That's, that's in sports that's science. Yeah. Well, yeah. I yeah. mean, it's sport as a whole. That's such a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, speaking of Leah Williamson, not only a massive blow for England, but massive blow for my team, Arsenal. We've got a game tomorrow, right? Yeah. We got Champions League semi final. Um, so, yeah, we're playing Wolfsburg. I believe it's Arsenal, Wolfsburg, Chelsea, and... Oh, I can't remember the last one off the top of my head. Um, but, yeah, maybe for some of the listeners, what, like, we've got... Yeah, do you want to just give us a rundown of... Well, we've already slightly touched on the NWSL, but the Women's Super League. What is the Women's Super League? Yeah, so Women's Super League is essentially the women's version of the Premier League. I think it's yeah. the best way to make every listener understand. Um, I'm a West Ham supporter, so we're seventh at the moment. So I don't know, like we're we're the best of the bottom half of the table. <laughs> Take what you can. <laughs> yeah. As a West Ham fan, that's usually the case. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah. Um, but yeah. Like Arsenal as a club do so well. The media between them, everything that's done for the males is done exactly the same for the females. And then yeah. the press conferences, like I think I was watching one with Diako Saka, like they're they're yeah. constantly doing the media stuff together and it just proves through the club and you hear the interviews and it sounds like that's that's at the club in general not just yeah the well they've really pushed this kind of friendship between Bakayo and um Leah Williamson which is like yeah and again why Leah Williamson is so important because I think she has tapped into that male audience really well because of that connection with Bakayo but yeah it's been really great and it's kind of happened in the past year or two that Arsenal have really stepped it up in terms of seeing it as a club, like a whole club, rather than you've got men's side and the women's side, which I think is still, there's still that divide in a lot of clubs where the men's, they focus, they separate it and try to promote the women's as women's football. But then the normal is still just football, which is always considered the male's football. Um, and while it's cool that they're, you know, putting a, a lot of clubs are putting a lot, a lot of effort into that women's football it's not necessarily on those main channels with all those traditional male supporters. Yeah, and I think I think you've raised a great point there. It's it's then you're tapping into not just the women supporters, you're actually tapping into the men supporters and getting in there as well. Yeah, and I think maybe in terms of our previous conversation about how do we get fans at World Cup games, etc. With New Zealand being so small, like yes, do all the promotions with the um, with the all whites as well, mm. but if we know rugby is our global game, so mm. can we work better with rugby and cricket, yeah. and and work somehow work that media so it's on all those platforms as well, and vice versa when there's a rugby game on. Yeah, think, like that cross cross sport. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, and that's the thing. Like, 
as you say, rugby, rugby is our country's main sport. But again, like it's our country's main sport to watch, not necessarily to play. Whether football is our main sport to play. And so there is this massive fan base that we could tap into if only again it was put onto these more mainstream channels and you didn't yeah. have to necessarily go looking at. I think there's this assumption that no one wants to watch. And with the males as well, that um a lot of males don't want to watch women's football. And it's like, no, most people just want to watch good football. And that is women's football. And it's just a lot of people, again, I mean, we've said this so many times now, like, they're just not exposed to it. Yeah. And you look at you look at the Black Ferns, like, I was lucky enough to go to the final. Yeah. And, and it, was, yeah. it was honestly the best atmosphere. Like, I'd been to a couple of the world, the Rugby World Cup games in 2010, was it? And it was a completely different product, I guess. Like, you had the poise. It was very much a family vibe. It was honestly the most, like, the coolest experience. Yeah. And that was the first time I got proper excited for this World Cup because I was like, this has shown what could be. How yeah. do we continue to build on that? Well, exactly. And so many, so many women's sports in general, I think the game environment is so different as a fan. Like, and especially with males, male football, it can get quite aggressive at some points, um, like with the chanting and the kind of banter between the fans and the players. And like some people just don't want to be a part of that, which is fair enough. Whether the women's game, while there's still that competitiveness, it's not as aggressive and in your face and as intense. And yeah, I think we really saw that with that, as you say, that Rugby World Cup final. And then Ruby, Ruby, uh, Ruby Tui yeah. getting the crowd to sing Two to the Mai, like, it honestly, like I teared up and it would have been amazing to be there in the stands. Yeah, it, was, it was awesome. And yeah, and I think I think you've just highlighted that challenge. It's, it's we want we want more people to be advocating and supporting the women's game, but then we also probably don't want to bring over some of those oh, I don't know the right word, but some of those cultural behaviors from the men's game that aren't beneficial to anyone involved. Yeah. Well, exactly. How you how you do that, I'm not sure, but I think Arsenal is doing it quite well in terms of how they are establishing it as a club culture. And it's how it should be. If you support the men's West Ham team, you should support the the women's West Ham team. Like it should it's be like you support the academy teams. It shouldn't be Yeah. yeah exactly? You've got you've got like some fans more invested in like the under 15s academies team than their professional women's team. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, but at that point, you're just showing your biases. Hundred percent. So yeah, I think I think it's a really it's a really interesting conversation, and I think I've got no idea how you, how you do that, but it's definitely it's definitely interesting. You get your brain going, you get your brain ticking. You think about all these wild ideas, and then you realize you don't really have you don't have <laughs> any the answers. Yeah. You kind of sit yeah. there. You can go into such a deep hole. Yeah. Just once you once you get started, you can't really stop. But yeah, I mean, if someone can bring the answers to us, that would be absolutely fantastic. Um, well, yeah, I mean, this has been an amazing conversation to have with you. And I think on that note of wondering what the answers are, we'll leave it there for anyone who wants to, you know, jump on or flick us a message with those answers. But yeah, I just want to say, like, thank you so much for coming on and giving your thoughts and opinions, because you've definitely got some pretty amazing ones. And Hearing your story. It's, it's quite humbling. It's quite humbling to be asked. And as I say, I couldn't think of a more perfect person 
to um to do a podcast like this like I remember when you phoned me I like it was kind of weird before you even said what you were doing I just knew <laughs> yeah it was honestly it was yeah I was like how like this is this is a weird little universe moment because yeah, yeah. <laughs> you say you're like I knew you were gonna ask me this I was like we haven't spoken in months mate <laughs> <laughs> I just think yeah you're a perfect person to host something like this and yeah hopefully hopefully it takes off and I'm excited to see what opportunities it brings for you because I think I think they're endless and you know hopefully one day we see you on the BBC Sport as a pundit maybe <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh that would be that would be something but we got a wee way wee way before we get there but yeah I mean and it's, it's like the success of this is all down to you guys coming on and like you're such an imp- interesting person to hear from and hearing your story about coaching and like as you say with this podcast like I'm so excited to see where you go with coaching like you you're definitely leading the charge with some of the other women that we've mentioned today and like for any young girls or young females or people who do want someone to follow in football like you are one of the women I would say to get behind and you know follow her on Instagram LinkedIn whatever like you're doing some really amazing stuff in the community and just for women in general so yeah it's amazing to see and I just want to take the time to say thank you on behalf of like all the women involved in football like it's so exciting to see you leading that charge man oh thank you no it's nice and sometimes it is nice to be reminded of it, about that because that's the purpose that's why you do it that's your, the big yeah. why yeah and I think sometimes there are barriers and roadblocks and little little speed bumps yeah and it's important to remember your why and your purpose so then you can get over those so it is nice to hear that even though oh. you don't need to hear it because your purpose is so big it is nice to hear yeah well and again that's why it's so important to have that kind of social network around you of other women because you do need that constant reminder of why because as you say those roadblocks can sometimes be quite big and a bit daunting for sure um yeah thank you so much mate and um all the best for the rest of the year and with your coaching with the uni this year I know you're going to kill it so yeah thank you so much for coming on awesome catch you later well thank you to all the listeners for tuning in again appreciate your time and hope you know this has sparked some thoughts and conversations that you might bring into your own life sometime soon. So appreciate it and we'll see you next week. Cheers.